0: I'm Abigail. And I'm Keith. And this is the Global Treasures Podcast. We're going to investigate each of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites.
1: The UNESCO World Heritage Sites have been identified as having outstanding universal value by the United Nations.
0: Which means that a site has cultural and or natural significance that is so exceptional that it transcends national boundaries and is deemed of high importance to present and future generations.
1: There are 1,199 sites across the world, with more being added every year.
0: We'll spend each episode exploring the history, legends, travel tips, and so much more.
1: We want to welcome you to Season 2, where we will explore the 45 sites that UNESCO added in 1979.
0: Hey, we just want to say thanks for listening, and we're so glad you found us. If you want to support the show, please leave us a glowing review and tell your friends about us. We're Passionate about sharing these sites, and this will help us reach more people. Keith, take us away.
1: This episode takes us to Abu Mina in Egypt, roughly 30 miles south of the Mediterranean coastal city of Alexandria. This Christian pilgrimage site has been important to Coptic Christians for over 15 centuries, and with that much history, it's obvious why this site was added to UNESCO lists in the second class of sites in 1979.
0: The site includes the remains of churches, a baptistry, public buildings, streets, monasteries, houses, workshops, public baths, cisterns, and many other archaeological finds. The center to the site, however, is the tomb of the martyr Manas, who would later become a saint in the Christian faith.
1: The history of this site starts during the first century AD, when the fledgling religion Christianity was introduced to Egypt, and by the second century had spread throughout the entire country. By the 3rd century, under the Roman Empire, Christians were sought out and persecuted for their beliefs.
0: Various 5th century texts give slightly different versions of the story of Menas, but from multiple versions, some commonalities can be found.
1: Born in Egypt to influential parents in the late 3rd century in the city of Nakeau, which is a city close to Memphis, Menas of Egypt joined the Roman army at the age of 15 and was given a high rank due to his father's reputation. He served under the Tribune Firmilian when the army went to Cotias in Phrygia. Menas learned of the edicts issued against Christians by the Emperors Diocletian and Maximian. Being a devout Christian, he obviously vehemently opposed the persecution of Christians by the Romans. When he was nineteen, he left the army to devote his whole life to Christianity and headed into the desert and mountains where he spent five years as an hermit.
0: It's said that Menas saw a revelation where angels were crowning the early Christian martyrs with glorious crowns and Manus longed to join those martyrs. During a celebration of a great festival, Manus appeared in the midst of huge crowds and fearlessly professed his faith. He was led before the prefect Purus, scourged, tortured, and finally beheaded. Throughout his torture, it's said that he never gave up his faith. He was only 24 years old when he was murdered.
1: The story continues to say that the soldiers who executed Manus set his body on fire and left it burning for three days, but somehow the body remained unharmed. Manus' sister bribed the soldiers and managed to carry his body away. She took a ship heading to Alexandria, where she set the body within a church. When the persecution of Christians by the Roman Empire ended, during the papacy of Athanasius of Alexandria, the Pope had a vision of an angel appearing to him and ordering him to load Menes's body on a camel and head towards the Libyan desert.
0: At some point, the camel refused to walk any further. This was taken as a divine sign by the attendants, and this was chosen as the burial spot. The story continues to say that after he was buried, water welled up from the ground and formed 90 small springs around his tomb. The tomb's location is thought to have been forgotten until a discovery by a local shepherd who is said to have seen one of his sheep healed by the water at the site. The shepherd then used the water and dust from the area of the tomb to heal sick people brought to him. Obviously, word of the shepherd's healing power spread quickly and even reached the Roman Emperor Constantine, who was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity. He sent his sick daughter to the shepherd to be cured and she is credited in many texts with finding Menas' body. Constantine then ordered the construction of a church at the site.
1: By the 4th century, the site had become a major pilgrimage destination for Christians. At the time, it was called Martyropolis. Small terracotta Menas flasks were sold to pilgrims as containers for the holy water, and these flasks have been found widely around the western Mediterranean, roughly dating from this era. These flasks were cheaply made, but have images of St. Menus that are important to the study of iconography. These flasks are also evidence that pilgrims came from all parts of Europe to Abimena.
0: The Roman Emperor Arcadius ordered a major expansion of the facilities at the site because the local archbishop observed that the crowds were overwhelming at the small church. By late antiquity, which is the 6th and early 7th centuries, Abu Mena became the leading pilgrimage site in Egypt. The site was expanded through five main stages of construction, with new buildings being added and expanded each time.
1: The site was abandoned and destroyed by Muslim conquests in the early 7th century by the Sasanian invasion of Egypt. The complex was extensively rebuilt after the Arab invasion, but it was the subject of repeated raids by the local Bedouins. Since the Church of the Crypt was so lavishly decorated, it seems to have been vulnerable to raids and repeated destruction. In 900 AD, it was again plundered and destroyed by the Abbasids, but the city managed to survive until the 10th or the 11th century. There was then again a small resurgence of occupation in the 13th century, but after this, the once great city was buried under the sands of the advancing desert.
0: The site was first excavated from 1905 to 1907. There are a few standing remains, but the foundations of most major buildings, such as the Basilica Church, are easily discernible. Also evident are the monastic buildings, a baptistery, and the Roman baths. The highlight of the site is the underground tomb of St. Manos, which is adorned with beautiful frescoes. Papyrus and ostraca, which is pottery with writing scratched into it, found at the site are exhibited in many museums around the world.
1: In 1959, the Coptic Orthodox Monastery of the Santa Mina was built near the site and is now one of the most famous monasteries in Egypt. The relics of St. Mena lie in the monastery.
0: More recent excavations in 1998 uncovered a large dormitory for poor pilgrims with separate wings for men, women, and children. This dig also uncovered a complex to the south of the Great Basilica, which was most likely the abbot's residence. A complex of wine presses, including underground storage rooms dating back to the 6th and 7th centuries, were also uncovered.
1: Okay Abigail, can you provide some info for any brave travelers or pilgrims who want to visit the archaeological site of Abu Mena?
0: Sure. And of course, just like many of the other sites we've covered so far, it's not super easy to get to. So, if you're coming from a country outside of Egypt, You'll likely want to fly into Cairo Airport, and then from there, you can take a flight to Alexandria. You can fly directly into Borg el Arab International Airport technically, but there aren't a whole lot of flights available and they're much more expensive. Okay, so once you're in Alexandria, it's about an hour drive to Abu Mena. There is a train and bus route as well. Most people couple a visit to Abu Mena with a day trip to Alexandria for this reason. Often they do both while staying in Cairo itself. I highly recommend taking a taxi or some sort of arranged transportation because apparently this site is not clearly marked with signs and GPS can have trouble locating it as well since it's in the middle of nowhere. However, it seems that many taxi drivers aren't even aware of this site. So, Be sure to agree to a price before heading there so you don't have any surprises. And Google Maps is probably your best bet if you're driving yourself or even taking a taxi. Also, I know I usually do a spiel about buying tickets and tours, but there's no website and there are no tours available for this site. As a sidebar, with this site, I'd just point out that the main language spoken in Egypt is Arabic. And based on the information I uncovered, I guess it's pretty hard to find people at the new monastery that speak English or even other European languages, so bring a translation app or a book just in case. In terms of what you can expect to see, you'll want to visit the archaeological site and then the new church that was built next door. And just note, when I say next door, it's actually about a mile away. And remember, don't expect to see these buildings in all their former glory. You'll be seeing the few walls left standing and basically the foundation. So part of this will be using your imagination to picture the grandeur of the past, kind of like with Pompeii. And take that with a grain of salt, because Pompeii is far more intact. Keith said to me that this probably isn't a fair comparison, but I just can't think of a better one.
1: Oh yeah, Pompeii was amazing. But just so everybody knows, it's much better preserved than Abu Mana. So, Abigail, were you able to find any information on how many people visit in a year?
0: Roughly 300,000 domestic and 1.2 million international travelers go to the new Abumena Monastery per year, which brings in about 252 million U.S. dollars to the local economy.
1: Wow, that's quite a pilgrimage destination. I guess just for comparison, the Camino de Santiago, which is another important pilgrimage for Christians, only has about 430,000 pilgrims per year.
0: 10% of Egypt's residents identify as Coptic Christians alone, and Egypt has a population of around 110 million people, so it makes sense.
1: With the site so old and steeped in culture, I'm imagining that there are a lot of legends that surround the site. So Abigail, besides the healing properties of the waters and the relics, What other legends and stories did you come across in your
0: research? So, there's one legend centered around St. Menas. No surprise, since St. Menas is supposedly buried at Abu Mena. According to some of those who practice the Orthodox Christian faith, St. Menas provided divine intervention for the Allied forces during World War II. So let me back up and set the scene. It was June of 1942. German forces were traveling to Alexandria and stopped in a city named El Alamin, which is about 66 miles west of Alexandria. The weakened Allied forces were confronting the German army, who had significantly more soldiers and more powerful weaponry at their disposal. During the first night at midnight on the dot, St. Manus appeared from the church and entered the german camp looking exactly as he did 1648 years ago like in the frescoes on the wall the german troops were so terrified and shaken out of sorts that the allies ended up being victorious in the battle of el alamein winston churchill was quoted as saying about this battle now this is not the end it is not even the beginning of the end but it is perhaps the end of the beginning now, did the German troops actually see the specter of St. Medus? Were they weary from years of battle? Or were their demons finally catching up to them, serving them a dish of karma for the horrific deeds? I guess we'll never know.
1: So Abigail, what are the issues and challenges faced trying to keep this site preserved?
0: Mainly, the rising groundwater tables have posed an issue for some time. And Abu Mena has been on the UNESCO's World Heritage Endanger Site List since 2001, so for over 22 years now. Because the local soil is hard clay, it becomes liquidy with any excess water. As a result, some of the structures are starting to collapse. They tried filling the bases of the most at-risk buildings with sand and even closing some of them off to the public. Part of the issue is that agricultural projects meant to reclaim the land from the desert caused the water table to rise, potentially causing irreversible destruction. The Egyptian government has entertained the use of a smart, sustainable membrane dome for the site. This would provide an appropriate amount of airflow, as well as solar cells located on the outer layer of the dome to provide power. This dome would have a filtration system for dehumidifying the air by filtering out water. Authorities are currently trying to prevent further damage by taking measures like digging trenches and adding pumps, which is very expensive. They also added a fence to prevent encroachment and more carefully are monitoring the water table. Only time will tell if these measures will help long-term.
1: So with any important cultural site, I hope that we can band together and find a way to save this site for future generations. As with any cultural history, it would be heartbreaking to see any more destroyed.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Global Treasures. Remember, follow us if you haven't already, and don't be afraid to leave a review.
1: I'll second that notion. Alright, we'll see you next time as we travel to Tunisia for a look at the amphitheater of El Jem.